morning and welcome into the show. It is Daniel Urban coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. early morning wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in on this Wednesday, April the 15th. Yesterday, we had a chance to uh, catch up with Mike Watola from uh, Soccer America, and and uh, that interview is coming up in just a minute after the break. And uh, we talk through the Development Academy, what he's hearing, and, and, and what the aftermath may look like afterwards. But this is the talk of the country at the moment. Uh, out of nowhere, uh, rumors started surfacing late last week. We've talked about it on the show. We've talked a little bit about the Development Academy in general in the past uh, and, and more recently with this news. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, there, are, there are large portions of this country that don't have the Development Academy at all. And, uh, and so they're not really going to see any change of this, but there are other parts of the country where the Development Academy has had uh, major impacts on the American soccer landscape. Some good, some bad. Uh, not all garbage, but not all great either. And uh, and, and you could make some arguments that uh, the Development Academy didn't go far enough in some things uh, and went too far in others. And we're going to get into some of that uh, conversation coming up here in just a few minutes uh, after the break uh, when uh, we uh, can bring you the, the interview we did yesterday with Mike Watola. Um, it was a Zoom interview conversation that we did. Uh, and we were just kind of going through uh, the rumors and, uh, and all of the innuendo and, and, and some of the feedback that he's hearing uh, from academy directors across the country. One of the important things when we talk about the Development Academy, and we're going to get into more uh, of this throughout the rest of the week, the aftermath, um, as it looks likely that an official word is going to come uh, sometime today or in the next few days um, that, that this thing is over. Uh, we're going to get into the aftermath uh, over the next few days in, on the show. But uh, one of the things that I think, if we, if, if we just zoom out for just a minute and look at this country, one thing is clear, and that is this. We're not doing the development part of the game very well at all. We're not doing the professional aspect of the game very well at all. And those two pieces are not being solved by the cancellation of the DA. They're not being helped by the creation of the DA. Um, there, like I said, there are things that were good, some things that were bad overall. Um, you know, what is, uh, alarming is that, uh, the development Academy saw a, a severe and sharp increase in the amount of money that families were being asked to fork out year after year. And uh, that byproduct um, was was severely negative. That was a problem. We were asking players to travel uh, and pay expenses that they should not have been being asked to pay. 
it's 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 just completely and utterly ridiculous and so uh we'll see with more news official word the athletic has a piece out on it uh talking about sources they've talked to uh again mike watola that we're going to bring that interview uh that we did yesterday um the sources he's talked to in in and he's going to kind of give some of those details but the, the the fact of the matter is that the termination of the da is not a solution it may be the ending of the DA, but that in and of itself isn't a solution. And what comes in the aftermath? Uh, if these, uh, what will soon to become former DA clubs, uh, band together and create a new league, is it the same marketing pitch that they were using before to try to extort families? And I hope families at this point start to realize like, okay, this is enough is enough. Because in the wake of this pandemic, um, we should be putting everything on the table and rethinking a lot of things. And, and this is one of them. It's just, it's not smart. Uh, what we're doing is not good asking families to pay this kind of money uh, to play youth soccer. It's ridiculous. Um, and so, you know, I'm not s- suggesting that people shouldn't earn a livelihood and, and can't do things to, to promote the game and, and have a, an ancillary benefit that they get a salary uh, out of it and, and, and they make a job for themselves. But what I am saying is, is it, it, it was getting way way too far out of whack and um and so you know even though there may be a lot of da uh coaches and clubs that that aren't happy that this big cash cow that they have been operating under for the for the last several years may be going away what comes in its aftermath what comes in its place and that's something we're going to get into later in the week our sponsor this half hour is ductic brand d-u-k-t-i-g brand.com and you can find out more about them there and when you go there and you check them out you look at their notebooks you look at their shirts you look at their products know that it's soccer people behind this business these two ladies that created the business uh, are doing it for the right reasons and they're, and they're really dedicated to Ductic Brand and uh, they're so dedicated that they even offer you a 10% discount just by using the promo code DWSHOW when you place an order. Again, that's DWSHOW when you place an order at DuckTickBrand.com. We'll be right back with Mike Watola right after this.
Mike, thanks for, for coming on the show and jumping in. I, I wanted to, to talk with you about uh, the Development Academy. And uh, a okay. lot, of, lot of news kind of swirling around, rumors swirling around about the Development Academy. Is, is it going right. to be terminated? What, you know, what have you heard on that front? Well, the, the Federation wouldn't tell me anything. I got in touch with them last week when somebody tweeted about the uh, possibility or the very likelihood of uh, announcement that they were going to ter terminate both the boys and the girls development academies. Federation wouldn't tell me anything. Um, I started calling around the directors and one of the interesting things well, is that they hadn't heard a thing. I talked to quite a few, I would say maybe 12 DA club directors who had not gotten any communication from U.S. soccer. Not even, hey, we're working on this, nothing about the current season. And what I gauged was that um, created a kind of panic. Um, they, I do know for sure that a lot of the clubs on the boys' side got on conference calls trying to figure out um, what to do. I do know that, um, and this was something that we – you know, knew about before the coronavirus and the latest episode of what might be happening um, is that there were DA clubs already who were considering moving to the boys ECNL. So I, again, the Federation didn't confirm anything. I imagine at this point that they will, um, that they will make an announcement soon that they won't be running the DAs anymore. And the reason I say that is it's my estimates that they simply won't have the clubs now if they were going to continue to do it they would, i mean it's just everything's there's so much unknown out there right i mean so but yeah i think that things are going to look a lot different um they would have looked a lot different no matter what but now they're going to really look different and i i did hear from someone just a few minutes ago use the word panic that a lot of clubs are panicking they don't know what to do some clubs i believe have committed to the ecnl that's not confirmed but that's my sense so in in terms of panic um i i talked about this on the show i don't know if it was last week or the week before this this topic of uncertainty that the federation mm -hmm. just continually does a really poor job when it comes to communication and leadership and yeah. create situations of uncertainty we've seen it uh, yeah. with treatment of the women's national team, the pro leagues, uh, there, there's just always uncertainty and there's nothing clear. And when it does come down, it's kind of out of the blue where it's, um, you know, not those, those interested parties may not have even necessarily been consulted. It's like, Oh, from right. down on high, here's what we're going to drop on you now kind of thing. Um, yeah, the Federation in the last, uh, I'd say two years or so has, gotten itself into a lot of trouble in some cases situations that could have easily been prevented with better communication um and also by listening to people the what i find most distressing and i and i will say that there has been a major change in leadership at the federation over the last few weeks obviously right so but what i what i think is just what i just can't f figure out is how little respect the Federation has for soccer people in this country who are the obvious 
candidates, the obvious types of people who you would want feedback from and you would want input from. Um, I just don't understand that. And, you know, it's been a while now when I started hearing people describe the U.S. soccer house as an ivory tower and, um, you know, kind of a cliche maybe, but, but I get it. I know why they say that because they feel like they're decision makers who really aren't in touch with the grassroots and with their constituency and with their membership that, you know, that has to change and it's not that hard to do. It's just, it should be an obvious thing to do. You know, I mean, you, I'll give you one example is when they did the tiering, right. And, and three weeks before the season, they sent out a schedule, which meant that teams like Crossfire and Gachi and the Nomads were going to be called second tier the strikers you're talking about teams and directors that were th- there from year one you're talking about a club like gotchi that's been there for decades for 60 years clubs that have and directors who deserve more respect than to be treated like that regardless of how they're going to tier things you, you don't just like pop it on them with a schedule release yeah I, and looking at um the genesis of why now or or what this is really concerning you bring up the tiered piece here which is basically this this idea that major league soccer wanted to insulate their academies from the large majority of the development academy um and and it really goes back to you know uh, a topic um that that i like to talk about which is worldview you know, what is your philosophy? If you're a business, an organization, and, you know, the Federation says their mission, that their worldview is that they want to make, uh, you know, soccer their preeminent sport in America, but, but their actions don't generally line up with, with that. Because yeah, I mean, the part of the mission statement to me that is, uh, that is the one to go back to is that there's the phrase in there, all forms of soccer from right, right to competitive. Um, I remember years ago, before the DA, when, when I asked someone at the Federation, hey, there's some crazy stuff going on in, in the youth game. Why don't you mandate some things? And, 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 they, and they explained to me what the definition of Federation was, which was, you know, a governing body that oversees, supervises, aids, basically sovereign members. Um, and that changed dramatically. And at the time in 2007, I felt that there was a good reason for the Federation to start the Development Academy. Soccer was a lot different then. Um, I don't think you had as many great coaches or good coaches, and you didn't have the positive role models uh, that the kids were watching. The you know that was before Barcelona became a you know super famous thing, and and soccer is different now. And the other thing I learned was that the way the DA is now was not the way that it was designed to be, that it was supposed to just help clubs around the country create better training environments. And then it turned into a national league. Um, You know, everybody playing on the same schedule, banning high school play, uh, having these directives from mainly Belgian and Dutch coaches telling people exactly how to coach, exactly what they're supposed to do, um, becoming too much of an all uh, one size fits all situation. So um, it, it, it got to a point where I think that um, the Federation really went too far in trying to dictate how things were and thereby also to get to your question, 
upsetting everybody involved in youth soccer who wasn't part of the DA. I remember going around in the early days of the DA asking people what they thought of it. And it was kind of predictable. The clubs and the DA said, oh, it's great. And the ones out of it that said it wasn't, you know, they right. didn't like it for whatever reason. They were competitors, a natural thing. And then we got to a point where if you ask uh, directors who were in the DA, they would give you a laundry, laundry list of things that they didn't like about it. Um, and the big one was, one of the big ones was just not having communication they were pining for the days of the when it started when Tony Lepore and, and John Hackworth as they would put it returned phone calls and 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 answered emails and actually respected feedback right I looking at the the DA system in, in kind of this tiered piece that we were we were talking about you know Major League Soccer ha, has created um for the professional ranks, and it seems to be that's what they were looking for in the in the academy space as well, is kind of this you know um, exclusionary type of setup. That this is how they derive kind of their, their their to build their assets, right? Is to say we're the gatekeepers. We we kind of are the ones who are at the top, and and you've got to kind of uh, get through us or get you know be on our good graces to get in, kind of thing. Um, so looking at the development academy and kind of where it morphed into over the years, um, you know, on one hand, it went too far, as you, as you pointed out, it became homogenized on, you know, tactics, uh, specific types of coaching, et cetera, rather than ensuring excellence, it was micromanaged of, uh, of, of specific tactics, not that you do it well, whatever style you choose. And, and like, I think, I think to like, you know, I, I'm a massive Barcelona fan. Atletico Madrid doesn't play the same version right. of football exactly. as Barcelona, but they play it well. And, and, and those are always nail biter, great matches between Atletico Madrid and Barcelona, but they play two different styles. They both right. at times perform what they do in, in excellence. That's standards based is one thing. And then on the other camp of the development Academy uh, is, I don't think they went far enough. It was not inclusive. It was not merit based. It was not, um, you know, come one, come all join this, you know, national connected system of, of youth yeah. leagues and let anyone in that's good enough based on their merit, it, it, it really kind of continued more of what we see on the professional space. Well, I think that that American soccer is on the boys' side is better off thanks to the Development Academy. I, I do think that if we had continued with the Wild West that we had in 2007 or so, um, and a big part of that, of course, is MLS clubs coming into it. One thing the Development Academy did was it enabled more elite players than ever to play to play cost-free soccer. It didn't solve pay-to-play, and for a lot of kids, it cost a lot of money. But thanks to MLS, you do have players that we didn't see before. Um, Latino kids, lower-income kids, underserved kids, the type of players that are usually part of a successful sport. Um, the... I think the issue with MLS is they, I think the Federation got scared that the, ML, the MLS clubs would leave and didn't think it through. So they basically tweaked something 
that they thought would satisfy the MLS teams that ended up not really pleasing anybody. I mean, the UA19s aren't that important for MLS teams, but that was the one that they tiered, right? Right. Um, that's why I believe that, um, you know, it was time to trust the clubs and the leagues and the coaches because I think we can. I mean, if you walked around the fields and I don't think you had – I think most people now, you have this sense in, among most coaches, I think, and even players and parents, this idea of playing, you know, good soccer. Um, whether that's, you know, soccer that, in my opinion, that's an easy one to define. It's entertaining. Um, obviously, that's subjective. But um, so I don't think we have that problem anymore where we have to, like, say, oh, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And I also think that if you have a team in your league that likes to boot the ball from the back to the front, well, players have to learn to deal with that because if they right. do make it to the higher level – it's not going to be like everybody's playing the same type of soccer. And one of the other things that I think they made a big mistake on is the strict ban on outside play, not just the high school thing, which is another story. But if you look at players, almost, almost all the great players that I've ever talked to in the United States played in adult leagues when they were teenagers, that was like a thing, you know, they would play in adult and you would get in trouble for that. If you were in a DA, you would get, suspended if you got caught playing high school or if you got caught sneaking out and playing on a Sunday league. So we got to a point in the Federation was punishing kids who were ambitious enough to want to play all the time. Right. Um, I think we're at the point that, um, you know, there needs to be a certain amount of leeway on how clubs do things. And also just for practicality sakes, much more regionalization on how we do things. We waste too much money and time and effort flying across the country for games. That's absurd. I mean, Absolutely. it's just completely absurd. Now the DA isn't the only one that, you know, and they're not the worst necessarily on making all this cross country travel. Now with the, in the post coronavirus era, um, I think that's going to disappear to a large extent because it's going to take a while for people to feel comfortable with one, spending a lot of money and two, you know, getting signing up for a league or a team where you're going to be flying all over the place. Yeah, that, that's a piece. I, I don't think people realize how how much that factors into costs for families. The travel piece. A lot of people think travel, and it's like I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to drive a couple hours. That's one thing. I mean, that's not like you know, if you drew if if I were to drive from my house to New Orleans, for example, it's, it's a couple hours, two, two and a half hours. I can drive over there, play a game or two, come back in the same day. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Um, it's an entirely different thing to load an entire team up on an airplane, fly wherever in the country, doesn't matter. But the fact that we're having to go via plane to play a match or two and come yeah. back is just absurd at 14. I remember uh, I live in Oakland, California. And I remember walking down the street and I saw a kid with a uniform. It was a girl, probably 14 or 15 years old with a Southern California uniform. I recognized and I asked her mom what they were doing Well, they had flown up to, to the San Francisco Bay area from Los Angeles. We're talking a team of 15 year old girls to play one game. That's just insane. I mean, now, anybody who knows anything about American soccer knows that if you're growing up in L.A., you don't need to get on a plane. Maybe no. when you're in your later, in your, when you hit your teens or something, but 
what I think is going to come out of this hopefully is a lot more creativity when it comes to putting kids in a competitive environment that doesn't require uh, this, all these travels and stuff. And, and, and I, I should make it clear that it's not all the Federation's fault. Certainly not. I mean, and, and they're not, they're not in position to solve all these issues. And there's a big youth soccer industrial complex that has been driving the game for so long. Um, you know, if you're old enough uh, to remember, like I am, you used to have maybe two national championships, a U19 and a U16. Or with tournaments, right? You might have right. the, they might start at uh, U15 or 16, but then they start thinking, well, if we have the U13s, the U12s, the U11s, the U10s, uh, we make a lot more money. Uh, so I'm hoping that the, those types of excesses are going to have, they're going to have to go away because I don't think we're going to have a, a lot of parents who are going to be able to spend that kind of money. Well, I, I've, I've talked about on the show recently as well, that, uh, little league baseball, they, you know, they banned, um, you know, pitching so many pitches, um, you know, in, in rest, they, they kind of instituted internationally this, this pitch count policy to protect, you know, young players and their shoulders and their arms uh, to prevent injury as much as possible. And so if you threw so many pitches, you had to have so many hours of rest before you could pitch again. Um, when I look at the Federation, to me, that that's an area where I think they should be leading, um, stepping up and, and, and putting well, out did. guidelines, I mean, you know, travel guidelines. Well, yeah, no, I mean, part of the impetus of the Development Academy was when uh, Bob Jenkins and, John, and a number of youth national team coaches would survey the kids who came into national team camps and ask them how many games they played a year and they would come up with a you know with, with 100 games or something ridiculous and so 90 games and they were getting burned out not to mention um you know injury jeopardy and you know i mean i i as a coach i've been a part of this i've taken teams to tournaments where they had more games in three days or two days than they were supposed to. Um, so the Federation, um, you know, that was, that was a big issue for the Federation. And I think they handled it well, the same way that I think they've been a leader on other health issues like the concussion issue. Um, but I also think that it went too far in the sense of, I mean, I see a lot of I saw a lot of DA games that I was impressed with. They were playing good soccer. They were wonderful facilities, great refs, well-behaved parents, good coaches. And then I was thinking, well, you know, maybe if these kids on a on a Sunday went out and played in a little bit of a scrappier type of environment, that might not be that bad a thing. Um, the other issue that you had with the DA strict rules is that you had kids who were paying a lot of money and uh, traveling a lot and not getting much playing time at all. And the easy way to solve that is to allow them to play on other teams. So in other words, if they go on their DA team plays on a Saturday, they hardly play or they don't play, let them play on a Sunday with the club's other team. You, you just need to be more flexible and you need to trust, um, you know, the parents and the kids and the coaches and, you know, lead by example, but, um, you know, don't overregulate because that idea of, I think of Clint Dempsey, if Clint Dempsey was a development academy kid um, and they were cracking down the way they do, he wouldn't have been playing in those, in those Latin leagues in Nagadoches, Texas, when he was a teenager against, uh, you know, Salvadoran and Mexican Guatemalan teams who with guys who were in their thirties and who, you know, super skillful and tough and, and rough. And, um, and we may not have seen the Clint Dempsey come out of it like the way he did. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say it's it's highly unlikely we would not see or even know who Glenn Dempsey is without that experience. Um, it's it's so formidable uh, to for, for a young player to play with grown men and play, you know, even with guys that maybe aren't from your culture and background and get exposed to that, uh, you know, especially in your teenage years is to me is it's, it's some of the best development that you're ever going to get. Um, you know, it, there, there are a lot of players, whether they are physically, you know, uh, superior to their peers or technically superior to their peers, or maybe some combination of the, of both of that, um, where they're never going to fully get challenged without that kind of experience. Um, you know, and so I look at, I look at, you know, when people look at, uh, from the standpoint of, well, you've got to get good competition for these players. I I've, I've watched development Academy teams, just like in, in just about any soccer team you look at around the world, you've got on every team, you've got like your really top players. You've got some guys that are kind of in the middle and you got the caboose. Like it's, it's, it's a, uh, really three camps on just about any team you, you'll ever see. Rarely are you, do you ever see like a, a dream team, 92 dream team with MJ and Bird and Magic. and all. Rarely do you see a team like that uh, at any level, especially in youth soccer. Um, so there are options for those, those one, two, three or four players. Um, you know, I, I've seen it in, in the, the local club here where they've taken a few kids that are you know, one age group and they, they put those three or four kids up an age group or two to play. Right. No. And the, the DA did that kind of stuff. Of course. I mean, you know, you, there were some, I saw some wonderful soccer from the DA from FC right. Dallas galaxy. I think the Seattle Sounders had some wonderful teams, um, you know, Latin style teams that we didn't see, you know, years ago, the, but there was also the complication of, of grouping in professional clubs with amateur clubs, and, you know, we were almost getting to a point where I, the last I heard was the amateur clubs were saying, you know, we, we need to be separate from the MLS clubs, which I think there's a point to be made there because it's one thing to tell a kid who's at an MLS club, who's not paying money, you know, who's, who, who's, who does, who's playing cost-free soccer, more or less cost-free soccer, the MLS club. He's part of a professional team, part of a professional club and telling that kid, you know, you're better off, you know, you don't need to play high, you shouldn't play high school or, you know, it's another thing doing that with, uh, with an amateur club. Um, I do think that there's differences in, um, in those type of teams. I think what needs to happen now, my biggest concern is there are teams that will, that could be hurt by the academy, by the development academy going away, if that's what happens. Um, I hope that the Federation is very active in facilitating, you know, a future path around the country. They need to stop the, you know, they need to get above the turf war, get everybody in the same room. Um, this is a great time to do it because I think a lot of people, you know, are feeling more like we got to be more like a family. Um, and, and kind of start from scratch. And if MLS teams, for example, and maybe USL teams have one age group, like a U16 or U17, that's kind of the key age when you're for pro teams. Maybe they play in a national type of setup or a professional type of setup. And then there are other teams or either affiliates with other clubs. They play in whatever league is, um, you know, has good competition in their area. They work with local clubs. It's, 
we just basically need to stop having different entities trying to fight each other. Now, I'm not predicting that's ever going to go away, but the Federation shouldn't be one of those entities fighting other people. They should be trying to do what's good for kids in general. If the kids want to do something that's really ramped up, then they, and they're good enough, then they play at a professional club. Yeah. This is where I go back to the role of the Federation in all of this. Like, you know, I think coming up with some kind of travel uh, guidelines, restrictions, um, you know, when you, you look at the way soccer is organized, um, you know, we use some weird boundaries. You know, U.S. youth soccer will um, use these 55 state association boundaries generally uh, to guide, um, you know, kind of a state league format. Um, but that's, you know, our country is not necessarily cookie cutter laid out that way. Um, you know, it's, it's real easy for where we are to get to New Orleans in two and a half hours. If I was to drive to the other end of the state, which I've had to do for one or two games uh, on a weekend, I'm driving five and a half hours. It's, right. it's, no, it's insane for that. that. We could be creative, more creative about, you know, instead of sticking to some um some format that for some reason we've gotten used to um but i also think that having a regionalized it i think we don't need to have a u15 national team i don't think i mean is there anybody any really that says we have to knows who the 20 best 14 year old kids are we should have six u15 national teams we could have them in six different regions let the regions do what they what they think is right um, and see what comes out of it and take the best from everybody. One thing that the United States has to its advantage, we do not need everybody to do it the quote, right, unquote way, right? If 20% of our youth soccer was on the right track, that's a population, that's a player pool that's still bigger than countries that have won World Cups, right? We don't right. need to um, try and just one size fits all, uh, I cannot believe that running a club that 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 running a club in Texas in South Texas is the same as coaching new soccer in New England. There's just too many differences. So why try and make them do the same thing? If you regionalize things, if you didn't have a national schedule, you could also be more flexible with high school because that's one of the reasons why, you know, they wanted a 10 month season and the clubs complained. There's there's areas in the country where you could either you could it wouldn't hurt the kids to play high school. High school soccer quality is a big variety. It's all over the map. There's some high schools that, you know, maybe kids don't even think it's that important. There's other high schools, I think you make a strong argument that that it's good for their player development, right? If you didn't have this national regulation, then you could allow that flexibility. And, you know, getting back to high school soccer, everybody complains about pay to play. Well, the Federation basically, you know, dismissed the largest youth sock costs, cost free youth soccer in the, in the country, instead of saying, um, Hey, okay, there, there are these flaws with, with high school soccer. We're the governing body. It says in our mission statement, we're supposed to help all forms of soccer. Let's see if we can help improve instead of saying it, it's, it's no good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, this idea of turning uh, American soccer into a Petri dish 
uh, of experimentations is is uh, a good idea, um, and and let the best ideas, uh, yeah. you know, develop and grow uh, rather than yeah. preemptively yeah. stifle things just because it's not your agenda. Yeah, I think. I mean, I I definitely believe in looking abroad for ideas, whether it's soccer or healthcare or cooking or anything. I think it's a smart to be open-minded, but I think we've gone way too far to try and mimic, imitate a country like Holland that is so much different than in the United States that it makes absolutely no sense to, to, to apply that model to the United States. I would like to have kind of a moratorium on looking for answers abroad and trying to find the solutions here and start thinking about, um, you know, coming up with, with American solutions, and, you know, an American style, take advantage of, of what we have here. Instead of having someone, you know, the Federation hiring Dutch and Belgian guys to tell us exactly what to do makes, is absurd. So looking at, um, you know, the American soccer landscape and all of the, um, unique aspects, right? Our geography, the size of the country, we've got a big population, we're, we're a continent-sized country, we've got all these different climates uh, as well, uh, time zones, you know, four different time zones just on the mainland. You're not, we're not even talking about Alaska and Hawaii. Um, it, when we look at, you know, the U.S., um, and, and, and let's talk about the mainland for a second, um, what are some ideas you think that could be uniquely American um, that could be potential solutions? Some, some places that people might could look to experiment on, you know, finding a better way. I think we should take advantage of the diversity of our demographics and our geography. Um, and, 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 and come out with what, what, what turns out, to be the best. I mean, you know, the country you just described is not that much different than Brazil when it comes to geography and even even demographics. Um, it's a country with a, with a combination of, of uh, you know African heritage and, and, and European and, and Latin. Um, so they managed to figure out a way, even though they have a you know very diverse country. And I think I think we could too. Um, and if you look at club teams, for example. Um, whether it's Barcelona and whether it's the best teams in the Premier League, those teams almost always are a combination of different types of players, European players, African players, Latin American players. Um, that's what the best teams in the world look like. We have that here. It's here. It's, it's our population. I just described our population uh, to, to a large extent. So, you know, let's, let's take advantage of that. Um, and I think, look, I think that we have had a lot of progress, obviously not getting the world cup made things seem all dour, but, um, I certainly like to see a few more, you know, more Americans playing in MLS, but the quality of MLS has gotten better and better. The style of play, you know, I mean, I could, I'll turn on LAFC any day, uh, Latin type of entertaining soccer. Um, there's been a lot of progress and, um, I think actually it's MLS that has the responsibility and the hope, I think, to bring 
the U.S. level of soccer high enough to become a world power. So looking at, um, you know, raising the quality level, uh, what, what do you think uh, to build off of if, if the DA goes away, uh, which it, it appears that's what's happening. Uh, everything I keep reading and seeing says it's done. Um, if it goes away and MLS has some, you know, version of a, of an Academy, you know, system program that is, kind of self-contained for Major League Soccer, and then everybody else, uh, and maybe the USL has their own, you know, kind of landscape as well. Um, but, but by and large, most of your amateur setups are going to be, you know, on their own back in ECNL, US Club, US Youth, some, some format, some version, somehow, some way. How do we raise the quality level across the country? Well, I mean, I, I just talked about not always looking abroad, but you reminded me of um, of sporting in Portugal, which produces players, probably more players than any other club in the world. And what they do with their youth, and obviously it's a much smaller country, uh, so many things are different about it, but the way that their youth schedule works is the first half of the season is a, is a local season, is a regional season, and, and sporting will tend to you know, beat up on the teams in their area. Um, it's almost like a preseason type of thing. And then the second half of the season is when it goes national and they play the best teams across the whole country. So I could envision something like that where the MLS teams um, do play locally to some extent, and then they move into their, their national schedule. You know, we, we still have to get back to the fact that we don't know what the attitude of MLS is going to be coming out of that. The financial hit is, I, is hard to predict. And certainly I'm not, good enough to, to make any estimates, but um, MLS is dependent on ticket revenue much more than most leagues around the world, like the EPL, where the, the TV revenue is much bigger. So there's going to be a lot of things happening. There are going to be people looking at uh, even MLS clubs that are looking at their budgets and, and trying to navigate their way through this. But I do think we can be creative. Um, you know, one you mentioned earlier about playing up. Um, and the USL, I think, is something that's extremely promising, extremely important, not just the USL, but any of the, you know, lower division professional leagues and semi-pro leagues. There's a lot of good soccer out there, not all over the country, but I mean, in, in the metropolitan areas, certainly, you know, even in the amateur leagues, uh, you, you could be creative and, and, and come up with a system. I don't think we'll ever be able to do what Mexico does, which is a super system, which is where they send their youth teams with their pro teams and they play this, they play each other before the other game, which is a wonderful idea. Um, it, it just, but, but Mexico, the travel there because the teams are clustered in certain cities um, and it's a smaller country to some extent, it, 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 you know, financially it's not as much of a burden as it would be here. So in terms of the, um, the travel, we've talked about, you know, how that can be very costly for families. One of the things that's been going on recently over the last few years with travel, uh, and I'm curious what your thoughts are in relation to, you know, if the DA is canceled and teams are going back into this ECNL slash playing a lot of tournament format, which I'm not a big fan of tournaments. I've, you know, I've talked about before. I'm just not a big fan of the workload on players. I think is insane. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it, so 
is this concept though of stay to play that you have to stay at this hotel in order to play in a tournament. Right. What are your thoughts on that? The ECNL and U.S. club soccer, which sanctions the ECNL, it came out of a concept, I guess it's probably been 16, 17 years ago, that the, that the directors of the clubs should have much more say and, and, and control the way the competition works. That, that, that's the idea. What I'm hoping is that if it does turn out that the ECNL, on the girls' side, that's it's a done deal. The ECNL is the top women's girls' league. But even there, I'm hoping that they approach this in a sensible way, um, that they cut down on travel. They might have to. I mean, it's, travel's not going to be a popular thing because of the financial fallout of the coronavirus situation. Um, and that, they, that, they, that it doesn't turn into something that looks like it's profit-driven. Profit you know, that the... All of the things, I mean, there's so many parts of youth, youth soccer that you know, the, the travel agent sort of kickbacks, the hotels and, and the, um, I mean, look, travel can be fun. You know, I mean, it can be fantastic for a kid to take a fun trip with their team. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. And some of us has done it. It's been really cool. Um, I'm glad that my daughter got to, you know, have a couple of experiences like that. But it doesn't have to be you know, the rule. It doesn't have to be. All it's the time. okay to be the exception, but the rule is the problem. Yeah, you right? know, you, if I were coaching in that kind of environment again, and you know, I would think, okay, let's plan a trip next year that'll be fun if people are into it. Um, but I wouldn't buy into this. Let's play all these tournaments so we can get a ranking on Got Soccer, which is an absolute, you know, travesty. It's a joke. It's so bad for soccer that they rank young teams based on how many tournaments they play in. I mean, that's just completely, you know, there's nothing good. I don't see anything good about this system of ranking teams um, based on how many tournaments they go to, you know, that's, that's a shameful thing. I I think uh, one of the ways or areas where I think the Federation could also lead uh, in, in kind of, the the oversight regulations uh area um obviously reducing uh travel i think should be one of those things like the pitch count with little league baseball i think that's something that they they need to to tackle and 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 address and another area i think uh from the federation would be some type of of um you know guidelines and restrictions on the number of tournaments that players can right. play okay, in so a calendar I totally year. With that. I totally agree with that, but I don't see how they can do it. You know, it's just not the nature of the United States. You know, I wish we had universal health care in the metric system. Um, but we are too much of a free marketplace for the federation to, to dictate well, that. They can do that with a DA. But here's what they can do, and here's what they should do. They should focus on their youth national teams and their training ID centers. They should take the resources that were that they, they can still get from that, that would have been going to the DAs to expand the scouting network, make right. it much bigger create training centers all over the country so that that everywhere in the country a player doesn't have to drive more than let's we have to say a couple hours because you know that's realistic so if you're anywhere if you're any talent anywhere in the country there's a place where once a month the federation runs a training center where they take a look at you um 
And the other thing that the Federation can do is keep track of what these clubs are doing. They can't tell them exactly what to do if they're playing in an independent league, but they can send a message that, you know, this is where we look for national team players. If the, who knows what's going to happen with college soccer, but that's also driven by where the national team scouts go and everything. They, they can send a message. Um, they can guide. I think they can consult. I don't know if they can dictate, but they can certainly have an influence. And they, I think they can have an influence in the right way. They can um, try and work with the leagues. You know, the, 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 my fear is that, um, you know, I know there are people that are concerned that without the DA, it's going to be another Wild West. Um, but I do think, uh, I am hopeful that there are enough people with, uh, you know, the heart, the, you know, that, that, that want to approach soccer in a, in a way that's good for kids, that um, it could come out better than it was before. Yeah, it'll be curious to follow. I, I, I do think that the Federation, uh, according to their bylaws and policies, have the ability to, to implement standards, regulations, guidelines, restrictions, whatever words you want to call yeah, them, like, like Little League Baseball. Your you know. registration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which went fantastically. Um, yeah, no, I mean, with the heading, um, with, and, and, you know, I, the Federation's done a lot of good things, I think. Um, the the yes they can they they they, there are things that they can do um and i totally agree with you 100 percent that uh if it's possible you want to put the brakes on uh the profit driven part of youth soccer that's not good for players right yeah that's 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 my big concern, you know, uh, looking at where we are, you know, whether the, the DA is, is done and dusted and, and we're in some new format, uh, you know, I, I, I continually go back to, you know, um, trying to localize, regionalize as much as possible, no matter, no matter who it's sanctioned under, whether it's directly with the Federation, um, whether it's through U.S. Club Soccer or U.S. Youth Soccer or another organization is formed to to kind of start over as a, like, we're just going to do a complete rethink of how to do soccer and, and get away from, you know, these things. And, and maybe internally within that organization, it does implement restrictions on its clubs to say, look, if you don't like it, go somewhere else, but we are not going to do X, Y, and Z in relation. I mean, they to, could reward clubs that do the right thing right. Um, in different ways. And right now it's too early to, to come up with a, you know, what's feasible or not, but, you know, you could be like Germany, which is the size of Montana. They only have a U16 and U19 national championship. They don't have like U13s in every age group. Um, let's say the federation had an invitational type of championship, whether it's a regional, in one in each of the four regions would be my preference, or maybe at the older ages, it's a national thing. Um, and they pick teams based on how they did in their leagues, you know, whether the champions of whatever. And if they see teams that they think are doing the right thing, they get rewarded somehow. There's ways to reward clubs for doing the right thing. I think the Federation has the capacity uh, to do, you know, that was the idea behind the DA, which was very good, which they they claimed and they said in the beginning, we're not judging you on your results. We're judging you on player development. Right. Um, You weren't supposed to be under pressure to win at the younger ages, right? The younger, obviously there comes a time where you're playing to win, but, 
you don't want to judge a U14 coach on his wins because we all know that you can take shortcuts to to winning at the younger ages. So, you know, that was part of the philosophy. Um, they kind of um, lost credibility when they did their tiering thing because all you need to do is look at the teams. It didn't take long for anybody that knew much about the teams that it wasn't about that. Right. I mean, there were teams, there were teams that developed players that were the second tier and an MLS team that even didn't even, an MLS club that didn't even have youth teams yet that got tiered in the first, you know, <laughs> in the top tier. So I mean, that's, a, that's a, I don't, I don't want to revisit that, but um, we have enough intelligent, smart, good soccer people in this country to that care about the game in the right way that uh, if the Federation did a good job of bringing th those type of people together um, and working together and bringing everybody in, even if it's the people that you were having a turf war with, um, you know, let, let, let's start all over and, uh, and maybe some of this profit driven business stuff is going to take care of itself because um, it will not be, as easy to manipulate parents the way that youth soccer has for so long. I mean, if you look at the, you know, the economics of youth soccer, it, there was so much money being spent. I mean, kids who never would have been come close to playing D1 soccer or national team or pro have parents spending thousands of dollars a year when they could be playing, you know, for a few hundred bucks. So that's all going to be revisited. And, and again, uh, maybe we'll come out of this in a better way. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. We, we, we definitely need changes as we know. And uh, I hope this, this whole pandemic causes everyone to, to stop and pause and do a rethink on, you know, what really matters, uh, you know, and, and how we should be trying to approach uh, the game in the youth space. I think there's just way too much money being spent um, in, in those areas uh, that uh, is, you know, coming from families. We're asking way too much of them uh, by and large. And I, I, I do think it's got to change. I think there's going to be a lot of kids coming out of this saying, you know, I didn't miss practicing four times a week and traveling all the time and having all this pressure and people asking me what college I wanted to go to and writing to coaches and all that it might be a lot of kids coming out of this saying, you know, I want to play soccer and have fun. Right. And, and, and that's something we shall see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I haven't, the, the only, the, I've been working at home for a while. So the biggest change in my life right now is that I don't get to coach and referee. And when I get back to doing that, the, you know, the only thing I'm looking forward to is watching kids play. I mean, right. It's playing soccer at this point that, that are, that's enough. <laughs> you know, I don't right. Care right. What badge they're wearing, what uniform they're wearing. I just want them to play soccer and have fun. Absolutely. Definitely want, want them to, uh, to enjoy the game for sure. So you, you, do you think that uh, we're going to get some announcement uh, as early as tomorrow on, on this DA thing or what, what do you think? I, I, the Federation did not, would not tell me. Yeah, I've checked with people too, and I'm getting I'm getting the same kind of answers. It's like, you know, yeah, I can't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna I have comment. heard I have heard people who are not part of the federation tell me that they believe that's going to happen, but the federation uh, refused to reveal any details about anything that's going on with the development academy. And this yeah. dates back not just the last few days. This this is going back over the last year or so where I have asked a lot of very simple questions about 
the direction of the DA, including who, what person, what's the person's name who, who's running it, um, and and have not gotten clear communication. So, um, I have had other people who are not part of the federation predicting that there was going to be an announcement on Wednesday. So my my I want to end this with just a couple of little quick rapid fire questions about oh. the DA, right? So nothing nothing crazy. Just looking at the DA itself, do you think that the if there if it does indeed officially get canceled or terminated, um, do you think that that direction is coming from the the those who are involved now in the sporting side of the federation, Ernie Stewart, Kate Margraf? Um, Etc. Or, or is it further down the chain? Do you think that's going to be involved in that decision? Is the the new CEO Will Wilson and Cindy Parlocone is the new president? Do you think it's coming from them? Is it a joint thing? Or have you heard anything on that? Well, I have not heard why. I would say this: that there are two things that I think are obvious and are not a secret. One is that teams are leaving the DA. On the girls' side, there was a tipping point, in my opinion, where there was no way they were going to be able to say that this is a elite girls' league when they were losing some of the most important clubs before the coronavirus situation and right as it started. Um, I also believe that, that there was somewhat of a movement going on in the DA and the insecurity and uncertainty because of all these rumors that MLS was going to leave made, made the DA vulnerable in the first place. Um, and then you have the economics of it. And so you're talking $9 million is in the budget uh, for the DA. Um, they're being sued for $60 million. They, they are, I do have no idea how much money they're losing because of this stoppage, right? We don't know the exact nature of the contracts, um, but I think it's safe to assume it's going to be a massive blow. So there's two issues. One is whether they were even going to do it on the girls' side. The boys' side, I think, is a, more of a surprise. Um, but the finances of it are going to be, I mean, I, that lawsuit, the women's lawsuit, is not even settled yet. And they're already dealing with how they have to revise all of their financial, you know, budgeting because of the coronavirus situation. For sure. So last uh, little rapid fire, qu rapid fire question here would be, do you think if the, if the DA is canceled, do you think that the ECNL on the boys and girls becomes the non MLS, non USL uh, landing spot for those who at least think of themselves as elite? Uh, clubs. Do you think that's where they yeah, get it's complicated because I mean things are kind of unfolding as we speak uh, There are some clubs that I know are eager to join the ECNL. They're happy with it. They're confident that's going to work and there are others that um, That don't want it to go that way um, There's also the situation that the ECNL might not take all of the teams that that want, want to join it. Um, it, it, it It's certainly the ECNL is going to come out. I would predict as the league that has the most elite non-MLS clubs and girls clubs uh, in America. I don't think there's any way that, I mean, we saw that happening before. And at the younger ages, you saw that on the boys' side, um, even MLS teams joined the ECL at the younger ages. Um, so on the boys' side. So um, they will be, um, I think, a powerful entity, both on the boys' and the girls' side. And hopefully they approach them the right way and hopefully they work with us soccer and us soccer works with them and it's not 
um, no longer, a, a, you know, a turf war. So that, that I, I said that was my last question. I lied because as you were talking, I was thinking about something that you, as you were speaking through MLS, we know that major league soccer has this giant, uh, vote waiting, you know, voted, uh, weighted vote in, in us soccer in the pro council, Don Garber and MLS, you know, double that of the NWSL, double that of the USL. They, they really kind of run the roost in the professional council. Uh, do you think that, that MLS having some teams in the ECNL kind of, you know, in some ways going, okay, hey, here's our preferred third-party uh, league to partner with. Uh, do you think I, that I means that – I know that they've been talking with you – they've been talking with USU Soccer for a long time to try and collaborate. MLS was supposed to collaborate somewhere with USU Soccer. Um, and I, as I wrote in my article today, I don't think it has to be one of the leagues. It can be whatever suits whichever team. If they're going to do with what, what the, the idea I had – that's been bandied around is, is, is have a professional U16 or U17 league, then the rest of the teams compete in whatever is the best competition in their, in their area. If that makes sense. Yep. That makes sense. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you spending some time. Stay safe out there with the, uh, the, the whole pandemic, uh, you and your family and uh, love to have you back on again soon. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get an official word one way or the other on this uh, DA thing. Uh, very soon, maybe maybe as as early as tomorrow when this airs. So I appreciate you coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, and, and all the best to you. and no child should have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd make a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Big thanks to uh, Mike Watola of Soccer America for joining us uh, yesterday for that Zoom interview. Thanks, uh, Tim, for coming on the show. And look, we're going to keep following the aftermath of the DA. Where do we go from here? We'll talk about more of that tomorrow. Thanks for watching. We'll see everyone again tomorrow. Tomorrow.